0: Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. It's our second week of Advent, and Pastor Ben Pitney has a message about peace, titled Liminal Space. Join us in Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve.
1: This Sunday, we're celebrating peace. We're focusing on peace. And so I asked Mark and Amanda to come up and uh, talk about peace. So this is not peaceful for you, I understand. (laughs) But I'm proud of you guys because I want people to hear a little bit of your story. So um, as we focus on peace, just for a few minutes, I I had just a a couple of questions uh, for you guys. But in particular... Amanda, maybe you can tell us what the opposite of peace is. Right.
0: So the opposite of peace um, is not being on stage (laughs) um, or being on stage, actually. So um, it's more of stress, anxiety um, is part of inner peace, you know, the opposite of that. And then. As far as for outer peace, it's going to be more of like conflict, whether it's with family, friends, relationships, that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. So so what are the areas, it could be situations in your lives that struggle to be at peace? Because so we all have those, right? Yeah. I'm sure you got some of yes.
0: those. Yes. So for us, I would say um, our our struggle is more of the inner peace type as far as Um, stress and anxiety of more so like dealing with schedules and that kind of stuff. So we've got, um, we do foster care. And so we've got two little fosters as well as our own two biological kids. So trying to figure out schedules, all the appointments and, you know, school activities and that kind of stuff along with our work schedules and that. So I would say for us, our non-peace time is just figuring out how to get it all scheduled and yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, kids require a lot. And they need structure, and I know you guys, and um, you like, you know, like a lot of people, you like your ducks in a row, you like things to be organized, and when it's not, it's, it's kind of stressful, it's not yes. very peaceful. Yeah,
0: so there's a verse um, that Mark's going to read um, that has helped me through a lot of it, um, and it's kind of a focus that we, that we looked at.
2: So this is in 2 Corinthians twelve nine, and it, it says... But he said to me, my grace is enough for you, for for my power is made perfect in weakness. So then I will boast most gladly about my weakness, so that the power of Christ may reside in me. So we're going to talk about faith today
1: in uh, the message a little bit. And so regarding faith, um, I know it sounds like it doesn't have anything to do with peace, but faith is trusting God. And And when you trust God, I think there's peace. So,
2: Mark, what do you guys do to maintain faith? (laughs) So, as Ben said, to maintain faith um, when you're not at peace, when you're in that conflict, when you're stressed and you're in anxiety, um, that's when you really need to rely on God and let your... Let your weaknesses be his strength in your life because without without uh, Christ or without God um, you're just gonna just on get, your own you right? get stuck you're gonna be uh, stuck in that uh, conflict and tension that uh, exists in your life
1: yeah and so you guys were telling me that you you got to spend time in God's word that's what brings you back to center right I think um so you you guys have been called um, to bring peace, in particular to people that you interact with each and every week. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because you 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 um, you said that you foster children.
2: Yeah. So as Amanda talked about with fostering, that's where I guess we take on uh, how we feel called uh, by God to open up our house um, to give up possibly some of our inner peace uh, that we have uh, in our lives to deal with the appointments and all the uh, things that come along with it to be able to provide the peace to the children um, that we bring into our house. So uh, the kids, when they're put into foster care, they're pulled out of environments where they have tension, they have conflict, and they're in environments where they're just struggling themselves. So we get to be, we get to show God's love to them and provide them uh, that peace uh, in their lives. Sure. Kids
1: are in crisis when they're taken out of their home, right, and put in the foster care system. and, And you guys, even though you like your ducks in a row when you invite that into your life, right? It sort of interrupts everything, but you can uh, you can bring structure and discipline and love and care and peace when they need it the most. I think that's pretty amazing, and and God chooses to to use you, as difficult as it is. That's what he he's called you to do, and um, I think it's exciting that you guys get to do that. Um, Thanks for being up here. I know it wasn't the most comfortable thing for you, but thank you for just taking a few minutes and being up here, you guys. Well, I'm glad that uh, you're here with us. That song is so appropriate in uh, transition into what we're going to talk about this morning. I want you to take your Bible out and turn to Luke chapter 17. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's one under the black chair in front of you. And so I'd really like you to turn there on your own. And the scripture that we're going to study this morning opens up with this phrase, now on the way to Jerusalem. Now, um, during this second Sunday of Advent where we focus on peace, this story, I think, um, that we're going to kind of examine and look at has all kinds of lessons for us. And I think um, when Mark and Amanda were here um, talking about kind of their lives. I, I think that the reason for this story is because of stories like they have, that God seems to want us in these places that I'm gonna call liminal space. And uh, we'll, I'll, uh, I'll eventually define that for you. But it's this place where we don't like to be a lot of times and it's amazing how that's right where he wants us to be so that everyone's expectation at this point as luke is writing his gospel everyone's expectations of the kingdom are sort of brought to the surface right jesus has a reputation he's making his way to the cross and there's we know that he has a mission and nothing's going to deter him but what's going to, but people are thinking, what's going to happen in Jerusalem, right? When Israel's king arrives, what's going to happen? Will this be the long-awaited return of the Lord and, and the establishment of his kingdom over the whole earth that Zechariah and the other prophets talked about? You know, um, uh, 600 years before Jesus is born, the prophets prophesied this is going to happen. And Zechariah is one of those guys who, who talks about this hundreds of years before it ever happens. And, and so it's, it's really amazing. And I'm, I want to read these verses out of Zechariah with you. And they have so much to do with the story that we're going to read in the Old or in the New Testament. Look at what Zechariah says. It's, he's God's mouthpiece. He's God's voice. He says, the Lord says, I've returned to Zion and I will live Within Jerusalem, Now, Jerusalem will be called truthful city, mountain of the Lord who rules over all, holy mountain. Moreover, the Lord who rules over all says, old men and women will once more live in the plazas of Jerusalem, each one leaning on a cane because of advanced age. And the streets of the city will be full of boys and girls playing. And then when you skip down to verse 22, it says, Many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord who rules over all and ask for favor. You could say mercy there, right? The Lord who rules over all says, in those days, 10 people, this is really key to the story, 10 people from all languages and nations will grasp hold of, indeed grab the robe of the one Jew and say, let us go with you for we have heard that God is with you. Zachariah is just saying, he's talking about the Messiah. He's talking about this Jew, Jesus, the God, man, the son of man, right? This is all prediction about the Messiah. And so this scene that we're gonna look at that Luke describes here and that he writes about, it's all of that. So, the answer to this question, right, you know, what's going to happen in Jerusalem and is, is, is the, the, the Lord's establishment of his kingdom over all the earth, you know, is that what's going to happen? The answer is kind of yes and no, right? Jesus is coming to Jerusalem to f- fulfill his messianic destiny, as Messiah, but it won't be what Israel is expected. It's, it's amazing how Jesus never does what we expect. And people are not expecting him to be and do the things that he is doing. Jesus is going to change in this story. He's setting out to change the way his disciples think. Because his coming to Jerusalem is not going to immediately uh, usher in this incredible final event in God's plan that they're expecting. Right? Right? There's so much more that's got to happen. First, Jesus has got to suffer and die and they, they haven't quite connected all those dots. But the suffering's not the end since death leads to his resurrection and now he's seated at the right hand of um, the father and we're alertly anticipating and expecting his return. So when you put Advent in the middle of this, actually what happens is Jesus's birth it's just the middle of the story. It's just the middle. There's so much more that is to come and there's so much more that was in front of where this is, right? Luke 18, says, they will flog him severely and kill him, yet on the third day he'll rise again. And so the resurrection is just a, a prelude to Jesus's return. So at Advent, we are expecting Jesus's return as part of Our anticipation, and we're celebrating his birth, but we're also anticipating his second coming. So Luke describes an interlude between Jesus' rejection and his enthronement and his return in royal authority. So this is about the days of the Son of Man. So when you read through the New Testament in particular, Jesus is referred to often as the Son of God, sometimes. And sometimes the son of man. Jesus' favorite way of referring to himself actually in the New Testament is the son of man. And, and the purpose of that is to remind and make sure that you, we are thinking through the man part of Jesus. Jesus being fully God and fully man. And so he wants us to think about him being fully man when uh, generally when he is talking about the son of man. So Luke 17 says... 17, verse 26 says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so too it will be in the days of the Son of Man. And so these are the days, right, during which Jesus' followers are going to be called to exercise faithfulness so that when the Son of Man returns, he will find faith on earth. Luke 18, 8 says, I tell you, he will give them justice speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth so here's the scene now that Jesus is gonna he's gonna teach his disciples some things and he's his intention is to change their thinking and by implication he's he wants to change our thinking the kind of faith that can't be taught in the classroom he wants to teach us faith that has to be experienced to believe to believe. So, while we read this story, I want you to put yourselves in the shoes of a disciple following behind Jesus and imagine how your faith would be stretched. Luke chapter seventeen, start at verse eleven. Here we go. You ready? It says, "Now on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee." As he was entering a village, 10 men with leprosy met him. They stood at a distance, raised their voices and said, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went along, they were cleansed. They're healed of their leprosy. And then one of them, when he saw he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice He fell with his face to the ground at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And then Luke just writes a little commentary right there. He says, now, he was a Samaritan. We'll get to why he does that. Verse 17, then Jesus says, were not 10 cleansed? Were the other nine? Was no one found to turn back and give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to the man, get up and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you. Now this is, I think it's a stunning story. And I'm gonna gonna say, this is finding faith in a liminal space. I keep referring to liminal space. And I'm gonna describe what that is eventually here. But what we're gonna find out is, where do you actually find faith? Today, this, this Advent Sunday, we've, we're focusing on peace, but we have to talk about faith first or trusting God first because that's what actually brings peace. So where do you find faith? What does faith actually see? What does faith do? And when we observe authentic faith, what impact does it have on us? So so my first point under finding faith in a, in a liminal space is um, to look at this cry for mercy, mercy from God, a cry for divine mercy. Look at verses 11, 12, and 13 again. Now, on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. That's really key. He was entering a village, it doesn't say what village. And it doesn't say where, actually. Ten men with leprosy met him. They stood at a distance, raised their voices, and they say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So Jesus is leading us into this liminal space, this sort of in-between place, traveling the dangerous, dangerous border between Samaria and Galilee. So why is this liminal space? We'll see a Jew making his pilgrimage from Galilee to Jerusalem would take one of two routes. Now, maybe you know the story of the Good Samaritan, right? If you know the story of the Good Samaritan, then you know that the Jews and the Samaritans don't get along. They don't like each other. There's, they're, they're, they're enemies. So the shortest and most direct route is through Samaria. This route's full of risks. It's full of dangers. Many Jewish travelers would take a second route. They would skirt around Samaria by crossing the Jordan River. They would pass through Perea, and then they would recross the Jordan River at Jericho. It's a really long way, and you're going to get wet at least twice. All right? But these people don't like each other, so Jews go around. No, not Jesus. He's never one to live like that or act cautiously. He makes it his custom to directly travel through Samaria. That's what he does, right? But on this final pilgrimage to the cross, his journey to the cross, the Samaritans had refused to give him hospitality, forcing Jesus and his disciples to take the alternative route around Samaria. So rather than Jesus just stirring it up and kind of getting all into it, he goes, all right, I'm going to use this. I'm going to go the long way. And it's all purposeful. To a Jew, Samaritans were, uh, were religious heretics, right? The, the, the Samaritans built a rival temple to Jerusalem uh, um, and corrupted the sacred scriptures with a version of their own, right? So these are heretics to the Jews, Right? They're, they're, they're people you don't want to associate with, they, they intermarry, they break all the laws of God. So these people are enemies of the Jews, all right? The distrust between Jews and Samaritans, it's been a violent history for a long time since the fifth century before Christ, and the fact that they slammed the door in Jesus' face at the beginning of this journey only confirms that things are not about to change even with Jesus, Okay? So Luke is setting this up on purpose. So now that Luke's got everybody locked in into this suspenseful story, what's going to happen, right? Jesus turns off the road, and you follow him into a certain village. But you don't know if it's a Jewish village or a Samaritan village. It's it's like Luke is doing this on purpose, right? He doesn't tell us, Um and so if it's a Jewish village, you feel like you stepped out of a minefield into a safe house and you breathe deeply and you relax. But of course, right, that's, that's part of it. If it's a Samaritan village, you're going to be walking into who knows what, maybe some kind of terror, turning this holy pilgrimage into a suicide mission. So why does Luke suspend our emotions? Why is he building this all up? making us live in this liminal space of not knowing why is he doing all that the answer is that's where faith is born and faith is a big deal here now let's define this word liminal it's about time i did that right the word liminal means literally a threshold a threshold a liminal space is a place of transition it's a place of waiting it's a place of not knowing It makes everything unsettled, awkward. And most of us feel tremendous unrest and a sense of urgency, and we don't like it. We don't want to be there. This is a unique spiritual position that actually we hate being there most of the time. But this is where God always seems to be leading us. Isn't it amazing how he's leading us to live right there, to be right there all the time in this uncomfortable place Now, you know, uh, there's other places that can be described as liminal. Maybe um, uh, twilight, right? What is twilight? Twilight is, it's not really daytime anymore, but it's not fully dark. You're in this in-between place, right? In fact, there's a famous Alfred Hitchcock TV show, right? The Twilight Zone. And can you hear that music in your ear right now? Right? I don't even have to... I didn't even have to hum it, and you already know it. It's like, oh, yeah, it's this weird place that I don't like. That's what made that TV show so famous, right? So Jesus enters the village, and then 10 guys appear out of the shadows. 10 guys. Think about this. This does make anybody uneasy. 10 guys just show up, all right? In the ancient world, ten, ten, 10 men didn't make an approach unless there's some serious business to conduct, like killing your enemy. I don't think it's any different now. Just 10 guys show up on your way to something as you're walking along, you're like, oh my gosh, what is this? All right? But as they come closer, it can be seen that they're infected with leprosy. Leprosy is bad. Right? Which only diminishes the risk uh, factor from death to defilement now. And maybe I'm going to catch it and, and, and all kinds of other things, right? So, in both Hebrew scriptures and in Greek writings, leprosy is used as a, uh, to designate a wide range of diseases, not just one disease, but diseases that erupt on the skin, making it rough, scabby, scaly, sounds pretty awful, right? So while in most cases the disease the, the disease isn't life threatening, uh, the social implications are devastating. You know they would still be today. You'd be like if somebody had leprosy and they kind of walked in here and they, you would kind of go, "Hmm, I'm going to make sure there's a chair between me and you." It just it, 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 that's the way it would be. So you got to put yourself in this sort of um, sort of thinking and the social implications here are devastating. So these guys are regarded as living under a curse and they're ritually unclean, whether they're Jew or Samaritan, it completely doesn't matter. They're regulated to the margins of society. They don't hang out with anybody else. They got to be, you know, that's why they're there together. So Jesus um, in... Um, he heals this leper in, earlier in Luke chapter 5. He heals a leper there, right? And in a message to John the Baptist, he affirms that this was a, a common feature of his ministry. So leprosy is not surprising to the disciples. They're not surprised by this. They've been around this. Jesus has dealt with this uh, quite a bit. So that's not what a surpri- what's the surprise. The, the, the surprise is there's 10 guys. That's the surprise, right? Right? There's 10 of them, and they're keeping their distance, though. This is what's unique. They're keeping their distance to protect Jesus and the others from ritual impurity, and so they raise their voices and yell together, all right? Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So they're doing this together, all 10 of them. It's like they banded together to make sure he could hear them. Now, the term Master... Is a term that only Luke uses. Matthew, Mark, John, they don't use the term master, right? And in every other occurrence, it's found with the disciples of Jesus um, um, during occasions when they're astonished by Jesus's unrivaled authority and miraculous power. That's when they use the word master. The disciples call him master, right? Luke 8, 24, Luke records a a scene, right? Where they're in the boat and they think they're gonna drown. The waves are gonna swamp the boat. They came, they woke up Jesus and they say, master, they're yelling, master, master, we're about to die, we're gonna drown. What is going on with you? So he gets up, he rebukes the wind and and the raging waves. They all died down and it was calm and they're like, oh. Who is this guy? Master. Lord. Master means Lord. Master means Lord. So hearing these lepers cry out for mercy, it sort of melts all the tension in the air. Oh, they're after the Lord. Right? But in the calm that follows, if you're like me, I got some questions. Alright, I got questions about what's going on here. What is happening? I mean, Jesus is being intentional. Now, I know this because right, I've done all the work and studied and kind of tearing it all up. But, I, got, man, I got questions. Even at first pass, I got questions, right? I got questions about the Jesus seekers in particular, the 10 guys. How do these outcasts come to know Jesus by name? How do they know his name? I mean, they're off at a distance, Right? Are they Jews or Samaritans? I want to know that. Luke has set me up. Who organized these guys to cry out with one voice? And how did they acquire the faith to see that Jesus is Lord? He's master. Master of mercy that comes from God. God's mercy. Because that's what they're yelling for. So I got a lot of questions. And what you start recognizing is this is Faith that's right in your face right here. It's faith. These broken guys, these diseased guys see in Jesus sometimes, what I'm gonna just call them church people? Church people? People like me? Maybe people like you, I don't know. Can't see that God's that God is at work in Jesus bringing his kingdom and, and, and this healing that lives in him. Sometimes you just just getting all these habits of going to church and doing the stuff and checking the boxes, right? And, and, and we don't see Jesus very good. So so these guys have no hesitancy. They, they throw caution to the wind. They risk exposure and making themselves vulnerable to shame you know, kind of letting everybody know, hey, we got the leprosy, right? They're risking it all to, to get some of that mercy. Now, Jesus is ready to give them the gift of mercy. It's, a, it's amazing. Look at verse 14. Look at, focus on verse 14. When he saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priests. And they went along and they were cleansed. So before a leper could return to society and get back in there with everybody else, they had to be examined by a temple priest who functioned as the purity inspector. Sounds kind of humiliating. But after careful examination and a bunch of rituals, the priest determines determines that the disease is no longer present, he gives uh, the patient a clean bill of health. Pronouncing them clean through some prescribed sacrifices and a bunch of stuff they got to do. So that person could be fully restored to the community after the priest said, yep, you're clean. Okay. So in faithfulness to the law of Moses, Jesus directs the 10 guys, go show yourself to the priest. It's only then that they, they, they leave in obedience, all right? They, they obey Jesus' command that then the 10 receive the, the gift of cleansing, God's mercy. Jesus' word alone, just he, just he just says, go see the priest, and that's what heals him. Just his words alone. That's enough. Not just for one, but all ten. The ten lepers prove that once faith sees really Jesus, it's got to act. It's got to do something. And with those first, first faithful steps, that's when eternal life happens. That's when the healing happens. It's faith. It's not a leap. It's just a, it's a step. Okay. I believe. I believe. There's so much right there. But if God is indeed the one who calls, calls us, then I can give up control of my life. I can step out into the unknown things that I can't see because he's responsible for my destiny and he's preparing me for something bigger and things that I can't even imagine. But you gotta trust Jesus first for any of this to happen. You gotta trust him. You gotta believe him. Now, here's the second point. Faith that sees beyond the healing. That's what's going on here. And there's a gift of sight and a gift of insight as well. So look at verses 15 and 16. It says, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice. So he's, he's singing loud. And he falls on his face to the ground at Jesus' feet, and he thanks him. And then whenever there's parentheses like this in the gospel, that means that Luke's adding a little side note, a little commentary or explanation that you need to know. He says what? He says um, he was a Samaritan. Just pointing that out. It's like drops a little, oh, a little more drama into the story. So as the nine make their way back to the temple, another miracle occurs. It's miraculous. The 10th guy, he sees that he is cleansed, that he's healed, and he turns back praising God in uninhibited worship. Unlike the other guys, this, this guy understands that he's been the recipient of God's grace. He seems to see something that the other guys don't see. And, it, and it's at the hand of Jesus. He really sees Jesus and his three actions. He's, his three actions speak volumes. He, you see these three things that he does? He he um, Number one is... he turns back, he turns back, and then number two, he praises God, he falls on his face, and thanks Jesus. He praises God, he falls at his face, falls on his face at Jesus' feet, and then he thanks Jesus. It's It's kind of unbelievable. The first one is kind of expected, right? Within the narrative, praising God, right? Oh my gosh, I'm free of this leprosy. So he's like, thank God, (laughs) right? He's praising God. Sounds pretty natural. But the other two are are pretty extraordinary. Praising God's great. Praising God's fine. But why return to Jesus to do this? Especially when Jesus gave explicit instructions to go to the temple and show yourself to the priest for purification. Are you a rule follower? Anybody a rule follower? I like the rules. And I, don't, I follow the rules. I don't want everybody else to follow the rules. You know, when you're turning in a left lane and there's two of them, you ever get to a light when there's two lanes and you got to turn left? You know what the rule is? You finish in the lane that you start in. That's the rule. You don't go whoop and slip over in the other lane as you're turning. That's the rule. Every time I almost come out of my shoes, I want to roll down the window and go, hey, you think they just paint the lines on the street for just no reason? What are you doing? You're going to mess it all up. There's a reason. You're going to run into me. You're going to cause a wreck makes me so mad when you don't follow the rules. (sighs) What about the 15 items in the checkout lane at the grocery store? (laughs) I can't help it. I'm counting. (laughs) Hey, that's 19 items. There are rules. This is supposed to be the express lane. You're clogging it up. You should be standing over there with that lady with like 10,000 things in her cart. I don't care. It says 15. (laughs) You like the rules? I like the rules. But the rules. You know, there's, there's, there's something going on here. Luke makes it clear. This guy sees that Jesus is the source of God's life and that giving thanks at his feet, giving thanks is is giving thanks at God's true temple. So being thankful reorients us and it reestablishes our relationship to God in appropriate ways. The other guys are bolting for the temple. This guy's, well, I'll get there, but this is the real temple. I'm going back. I'm going back because this is about God. You see, that's what worship's supposed to do. So now Luke tells us something we don't know yet. Now he's a Samaritan. Well, oh, he drops another little bomb in there. And the point here is, are you like the nine or the one? Look at verse 17 through 19. Then Jesus said, we're not 10 cleansed." Jesus got a tone here. Let me see if I can read it like he's got a tone. We're not 10 cleansed? Where's, where are the other nine guys? Was no one found to turn back to give praise to God except for the foreigner? And then he says to the man, <laughs> At least you get it. Get up and just go. Go wherever you want, buddy. Go. Your faith's made you well. You've been saved. Go. You're free. I don't know if that's the way he said it, but that's the way I think he's feel like he said it. Jesus got a, sh- a tone here, and it's kind of shocking. He's bummed. I think he's a little perturbed. I think he's. I think he's bummed. I think he's disappointed. Might be a little mad. He's amazed that out of only one, one out of ten had the faith to see and comprehend the reality behind the miracle. As you hear Jesus' disappointment in the unquestioning obedience of the nine, it makes you wonder, you know, about the rules preventing us from exercising faith i'm not saying get out there and drive across the lines and just slip into the 15 item check lane not that kind of stuff I'm talking about all the stuff that we do here right sometimes you just miss it and you know think about it who are these jews these are people that god chose a people a nation to do what to showcase the essence of who god is this guy's a Samaritan, so you know what you're figuring out here is the other guys are all Jews. Almost sounds like he's racist when he says it, right? Foreigner. (laughs) That's not what he's pointing out. He's like, God chose a people to showcase the essence of who he is to everybody else, all the the nations, all these peoples, like Zechariah was saying, So they wouldn't know who he is. Hmm. So now, while you're trying to get all this, Luke lands another surprise. All the other lepers are Jews except for the foreigner. And this suggests that the village that Jesus enters is Jewish. And this lone Samaritan had the courage to cross the boundaries into no man's land and identify with all the Jewish community. He's a pretty courageous guy when you consider the ridicule and the abuse he's willing to endure. Sadly, the nine remain Jews in the flesh, but the Samaritans become a true child of God. You catch that? Raised up through faith, he didn't know that he even had. He experienced a full measure of what it means to be saved. He's the guy that's saved. Equipped with real life, he's sent off not to Jerusalem, but anywhere he wants to go. (laughs) He, he can go anywhere. Get up, go your way. That's the thing. You know, the full implications is don't fully aren't fully comprehended until you get to Luke's companion book called the Book of Acts. When the spirits poured out without measure, no longer do believers have to make pilgrimages to encounter God in a holy place like the temple, because God will permanently live right here. This isn't God's house. This is God's house. So what has this got to do with you and me? Well, let's talk about where is faith found? Faith is found where we take the risk to, touch, uh, to trust Jesus, to follow Jesus on a road that most are not willing to go traveling down into a liminal space, dangerous, unknown. That's where we encounter the, the broken, the diseased, who help us discover what faith looks like, and that leads us to real peace. Trusting Jesus leads to peace. And if you're going to really experience it, you've got to get out there, rub shoulders with everybody else, can't just get it in here. This is supposed to remind us, and we're supposed to rally, but worship's kind of a liminal space too, right, where we're trying to experience who God is, but then we got to get back out there with everybody else. So what does faith see? What does faith see? See, it's about faith. Faith sees that God is at work in Jesus bringing his long-awaited kingdom in ways that are different than we expect. That healing is living inside of Jesus and that he's the true temple of God. What does faith do? Well, faith is vulnerable. It risks exposure and shame to ask for mercy. That's what faith does. Maybe that's you today. If you're going to Give your life to Jesus, you gotta be vulnerable and you gotta be willing to admit, I'm sinful and I need a savior. I'm full of this disease called sin. And you gotta, you gotta do that to get this mercy, this gift of mercy. What does faith do? It's obedient. It is the one thing Jesus asks before he answers our request. So he asks us to trust him. to believe in things you can't see. And number three, it returns to its Lord to give public praise with unabashed worship and in worshiping receives a greater miracle of sight, the living Lord in our midst. <laughs> so what impact does faith have on us? Well, faith in liminal space changes us to examine whether we're like the Samaritan leper or like the nine. Is our faith defined by believing in all the right doctrines about Jesus and checking the right boxes? Or does it make us attentive to Jesus, inviting us each and every day to follow him into uncharted territory, into unknown places, into dangerous places, uncomfortable places, liminal space, places where we don't have any control over what's going to happen. See, faith teaches us to be at peace where we have no control. Peace where we got no control. The adventure promises to be the most thrilling in our life. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to get yourself into some spots. And one that makes us feel most alive, though, is you take part in living by faith. When you really trust Jesus, that's when you get peace. And you may be walking into things you've never experienced before and you don't even know anything about. But when you trust Jesus, it's going to be good. It's going to be amazing. Now, you see, now you can go to that John chapter 14 passage. See, this is where Jesus is headed. He's headed to the cross, but he's got to teach his guys to change their thinking. You guys got to have faith and courage. It's about faith. He says, now listen, and he's, a, he's, a, he's going to suffer the most horrific thing. Peace, I live with you. I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. I don't give it to you as the world does. <laughs> Don't let your hearts be distressed or lacking in courage. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you love me, you'd be glad that I'm going to the Father because the Father is greater than I am. He's got this. And there's a plan here. Peace and faith. That's it. This was Jesus' burden for his followers the night before his suffering. It's amazing. It's amazing. This is what he wants them to have. It's the most amazing and wonderful, the sweetest thing in the Bible to realize that just hours before Jesus is crucified, he's concerned for the peace and the faith of his followers. Think of it. He's about to be tortured to death with one of the most horrific ways of torture ever devised, the crucifixion on a cross. And his burden was to solidify in the souls of his followers peace faith. Verse 29, when you go down in that John 14 chapter, I've told you now before it happens so that when it happens, you may believe. That's have faith. That's why I'm telling you all this. This is what he's aiming at just before he suffers. I want you to have peace. I want you to believe in what I say and what I do. I want you to have unshakable faith. I want you to have the kind of peace that I give, not the stuff the world dishes out. That stuff's not going to last. The kind of faith I give, not the world. Real peace. That's what I'm that's what I want to give you. Father in heaven, thank you. (laughs) Such an awesome story. Thank you for seemingly to keep putting us in liminal space. That's where you want us to live, but you want us to be at peace with it. You want us to be settled. Oh, we're anticipating so many things this Christmas. I'm praying, God, that you would settle our hearts and help us to remember to trust you. That's where we can have faith. That's where we can have peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Vale Christian Church podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.valechristian.com.